0: data storytellers. Today on the show, I have a very cool guest, Anand Meta. And uh, Anand and I have been in the conversation for for a while, for a good couple of months. Uh, he attended one of our masterclasses, contributed to the conversations in all kinds of unique ways. And I wanted to make sure to get him on the show and get his take on some of the hot topics in our community. So first of all, Anand, welcome on the show.
1: Hey, Laszlo. Thanks for the, the happy invite here. I'm, I'm glad to be here
0: absolutely. And and you sit in Nashville, right? We just uh, sp- spoke about that.
1: Yes, yes, I'm I'm here in Nashville, you know, the up and coming tech hub and you know, love being here and you know, welcome down if you ever want to come here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I told you, <laughs> uh, we have our eyes on Nashville. Later on in the year, we're going to go to uh, Austin. Uh, I mean, we are in Vancouver, but, you know, maybe Nashville will, will be our next stop. So uh, so we'll see. And uh, Anand, before we dive into the topics, um, not everyone will be familiar with you. I mean, your fellow attendees uh, who you spoke to during the masterclass obviously know you already, but if you can make a quick introduction, the audience about your role, your job, the company that you work with and the mission that you're on at the moment. That would be fantastic.
1: Sure. So my name is Anand Mehta. I am currently the director of data science uh, here in Bridgestone, the tire company, uh, specifically in Bridgestone Americas. Um, I have taken, I took this role on in August of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, um, which was part of a reorg we did with the data and analytics function being uh, centralized a bit more, um, greater focus being given to data and analytics as being a significant um, contributor to our competitive advantage. And so I was brought on to the org to build, uh, you know, transform and, and improve the data science function and give it, you know, give it wings, really. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me.
0: Mm, fantastic! I know that you guys are working on some cool initiatives, so we'll see how much we'll be able to dive into. But before we we go there, so how did you get into analytics? What was your what was your journey? What's your story there?
1: Well, I would say it started very young. I mean, I was one of my favorite subjects even back when I was in school was math and and all the sciences. That that's what got me excited. Um, you know m- m- my my school projects, so I, you know it's it's natural uh, attraction to to mathematics, quantitative, you know, STEM field, uh, I guess you could call it. Um, and you know, early on, I I knew I wanted to do something more on the you know quantitative side. Um, so you know, I, I went in and got my degree. My first degree was in uh, economics. I got a bachelor's in economics, and I focused on. Uh, finance and marketing. And then, I, and even within finance and marketing, I did the more quantitative focused uh, courses. Um, and then, you know, career wise, I started out doing MA, uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, for, for not for a bank, for, for a company that did a lot of acquisitions. Um, so that was very quantitative. Um, and I, I then went on to take a career in supply chain. So I went for a master's degree which was a master's in engineering. So it's a kind of an unconventional route. I started in economics, did a master's in engineering, um, which is focused on supply chain analytics. Uh, So, you know, network optimization, simulation, uh, regression, those types of problems. And I I then took several roles doing a lot of macroeconomic optimization of supply chains uh, using different techniques. Um, Yeah, and then... Over time, I took roles in planning, and planning involves a lot of um, forward thinking, predictions, forecasting—you know, those types of use cases. So I've been doing data science before it was really known as data science. Uh, you know, a lot of leader, leading indicator analytics, the supply chain uh, analytics, um, causal factors, all of that, and then you know, uh, fast forward a few years, I take over. Uh, a supply chain center of excellence um, here at Bridgestone. That was my first role here at Bridgestone. Um, And, you know, after that, uh, they tapped me and said, hey, you know, can we do, uh, can we have you lead the data science team? Um, And and kind of, uh, it was an interesting bit of a challenge taking on a new uh, team during the pandemic but uh, it's, it's been rewarding so far. It's still, we've still got lots of challenges, but you know, that's part of the the fun of the job is, is, you know, having some of those more difficult things you need to work through.
0: No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we'll identify some of those barriers here. So it seems like you're an early mover, right? You, you do data science before it's cool. You move to Nashville before it becomes cool, right? So (laughs) you take these, these good bets and, uh, I mean I can relate um a lot with you guys um in the sense that for example you know math I remember I, sometimes we tell this story and we're invited to conferences uh that uh, in kindergarten I was kind of like a you know like a math prodigy I remember the kindergarten teachers like gathering around and giving different tasks you know additions multiplications uh divisions I was like really good at those answers I was very impressed with myself I was you know very happy that uh well look i have this you know superpower and it impresses the teachers but then when we you know went out to the to the playground there was a whole different set of skills that were needed to be successful right and uh for for you guys and i'm, I'm of course i'm referring to the soft skills you know in the in the ruthless world of of uh, kindergarten relationships there is kind of like you know the the uh, it's kind of the mafia in a way but uh so to to stay on track with the uh, with the topic so as you uh like dived into data science, you got immersed in that world. You had all these skills. It sounds like that you were well set up, you know, with uh math, economics, engineering. Those are fantastic things to know as a as a data leader because in a way you guys are architects. Right, that's like one part of your job. And there's a whole separate part of the job. Uh, what what were the main challenges for you as you progressed, and especially as you you climbed the ladder and took on more and more responsive Responsibility in more and more senior roles in your career.
1: Yes, I, that's an interesting question, and, and there's you know lots of dimensions. Yeah, you know, I'll mention kind of some of the things that come top of mind. First of all, is what's really guided me through my career is always keep your eye on the ball, and you need to know which ball you're keeping the eye on, right? So, so when I say that, I mean understand what are the goals of the organization. How do they link to the analytics function or, or so supply chain function or you know, X function wherever you sit? Um, and then, as you take on projects or, or initiatives, how do those initiatives link back up to that North Star vision of that organization? Um, you always need to be able to connect to that. Uh, that's one thing that, you know. Spend the time to do the the, the research, understand the background, the, the the challenges, the conflicts, the the opportunities, and how they link back to those incentives. And then ultimately, are there metrics that you can tie that to? Uh, not always easy, but um, if possible, that should be you know one of the first things to do. And the other kind of element I would say is lead with people first, right? Um, we can get bogged down with analysis paralysis or trying to get the best model, the slickest model, you know, the most advanced. But in the end, you have to be able to convince the receiver of that product analytics report, whatever it is you're producing. And then they need to be able to understand it in a way, you know, in, in their own way. Uh, so kind of you know, understanding how to speak their language Um, and and, and relate with them, I think has been a key factor. And and as I've I've grown in my career, that has increasingly been my focus is less on the deep analytics. Uh, I have to rely on my people and I trust my people to do that. I review it, but they're doing it. My role really is translating that into, okay, what does it mean for the business and, and kind of future casting or vision casting a little bit, because oftentimes people come to us with problems, right? They're, they're looking in the rearview mirror. Hey, I'm having issues with X, Y, and Z. I need you guys to solve for this or, or get, get, get me the reason, diagnose the problem. And, and then as data scientists, yes, we want to diagnose the problem, but also start solutioning or, or giving ideas into how do you want to solve. You know, solve those problems, give recommendations, or ultimately the user, the stakeholder will make those decisions, but can we give them the data, the information in a way that makes that easier for them?
0: Hmm, 100%. So I would like to zoom in um, a little bit on the first part of what you just said, which is um, you know, get the business context, acquire that business context. So I, I imagine that especially when you don't have that kind of business experience, you are only a domain expert, usually, you know, it's, you know, IT, data science, engineering, uh, quantitative analytics. Um, So how do you how do you go about uh, building these relationships? So when you talk about incentives, and metrics, do you have a framework, a specific approach or a strategy where, okay, let's say you're in a new business? uh, And how do you connect to the motivational levers of the enterprise? How do you seek kind out of the right relationships, the right stakeholders?
1: Yes, I, so so we. the way I've done it is, first of all, trying to understand the universe of stakeholders that I might, or my team might interact with um, based on what is our mission, right? So for example, currently you know, I have data science across the board really very limited boundaries. You know, I can pretty much go in any field, anywhere. So it's it's a broad scope that I have. But I have a you know smaller team, so I cannot do everything for everyone. Um, so I have to pick and choose. So prioritization. So how do I do that, right? Um, the first thing I did was, or with my team, not just me, is identify, you know, on a scale of impact and influence, who are my stakeholders, right? Um, so in terms of who is, you know, impact meaning more influential, higher ranking usually, mm-hmm. right? Because if we get them on board, we'll get a lot of support. But not just that, also high influence. So they don't necessarily need to be the highest ranking. But in terms of the area they're working in, uh, you know that area aligns with potential uh, opportunities that data science can bring and, and, and move things forward and, and maybe even create, you know, competitive advantage. Um, so we did a mapping like that. Uh, and then, you know, uh, we decided uh, to partner with anyone that's on that top right quadrant, mm-hmm. high influence, high impact, right? Partner meaning frequent in-depth interaction, um, and by frequent, it's almost continuous. So I embedded team members into those teams. Uh, and and, and yeah, I can define embed meaning they are you know, part of their um, you know, weekly or monthly team meetings. They're, they're understanding the business. They're trying to get as much domain or business acumen from that specific area function or team as, as much as possible. And then over time, contributing as well. In terms of hey, you know, we can help you with that here. Let me help you build that um, dashboard. Let me help you build that predictive model. Let me help you build that XYZ, whatever it is, and nurture that relationship to to go from more, hey, reactive to proactive. Hey, you know, we, we know now your goals. Um, here, this thing we've thought up here might help you with this goal. What do you think? Um, so it doesn't happen by chance so there's a lot of work obviously i've, I've described it in i don't know a couple <laughs> minutes but uh, it takes months often right so so you have to first of all be conscious of hey you're strategically going after those targets right um and it starts with a pitch deck right um, in terms of the first thing i do is, uh, especially with the newer team is, hey, you know, my name is Anand Mehta. I'm here to help, right? <laughs> and, and and you know, I, I go with, with my, my, my slides. Um, and even the approach of how we build those slides is catered to that audience in terms of, um, it's 50-50. It's 50%, hey, here's who we are. Here are the kinds of things we do. So there's a bit of that. Then the other 50% is, what are we trying to get out of them? We want to understand, you know, what are their issues, their problems, keeping what's keeping them up at night, what are the metrics? So we're, we're also gaining knowledge from that. And that then informs that the second, the third interaction with those teams. And it doesn't always go smooth, right? Sometimes, you know, you start you fall, or you try again. Um, and then over time you get better at it, right? <laughs> as, as you understand the audience and, and the culture of the
0: organization. Absolutely. So, uh, actually, this is something that we, of course, talked a lot about during and especially after the masterclass when we kind of round up the, the key insights and the learning is that you know, over the years, working with most of the uh, FT500 now, we saw that people who focus on three key elements usually kind of fast track their progression and the rate at which they build these fruitful relationships. You and I also talked about that, you know, the the um, triage of value trust and then your status slash position of how you're being seen in the business so what you're what you're saying right now like feeds into all of those right because these in fact feed into each other so one is just to like focus on the value that you provide of course to kind of get your foot in the door you need some trust established so that people are open to your initiatives and they need to see you in the right way you know because everyone uh has their own agendas, right? They have their own jobs. They're very good at what they do. Usually these um, senior executives, So it's very crucial how they see you. I mean, uh, of course, especially at the high level, you would be surprised. I'm not, not you, but you know, for some of the listeners that, Um, people actually are quite charitable people who, who are at that level, very good at what they do. Usually they are good with people, right? So they're open. In fact, that kind of quadrant that you mentioned with impact and influence in the top right part of that quadrant, people are usually quite open to new ideas. They seek out opportunities, right? At the same time, it's still your responsibility to frame that relationship the right way, right? So actually I have two questions around this. Uh, especially after having several conversations with your peers and just being in touch with some of the key challenges of the industry, how do you think data analytics and data science is still being seen in the corporate world? And then, how do you think that data science and analytics leaders should reframe that? I don't know if the question makes sense to you. So, from the mm-hmm. uh, uh, from, from the perspective of the stakeholders, what do you think that they understand? about this capability this new technology this trend and what is the reality that you need to kind of push them towards conceptually and this ties into maybe like how you pitch uh what your deck looks like without giving away your secret sauces of course sure. <laughs>
1: um very interesting question so um everyone's different but what i have seen out there you know kind of more common than not is maybe a bit of a uh, halo around data science so they kind of solve everything for us right it's like oh just just do that ai do that ml and 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 solve these really hard difficult problems that have been around for you know 100 of years often <laughs> um, so i think there's a little bit of lack of in depth understanding which is fine not everyone has to be a data science expert but there's a little bit of that hype let's call it that that that, that, that you know, ChatGPT is, is an example, right? Uh, it's one that's maybe top of mind right now um, in terms of, hey, you know, just just build me that thing so I can just type, you know, two sentences and it does my work for me and it doesn't really work like that. Um, so, so there's a bit of that, you know, very, maybe a more simplified example, but, you know, if, even in industry we get, you know, those requests that are, okay, that's that's really broad. Um, and, and then kind of maybe answering the second part of it is, that's fine, you know, we're, what we need to be as data leaders is get those ambiguous, broader asks and then ask a lot of questions. So, so why do you want to do that? You know, what are you trying to get out of it? Um, How soon do you need it? Um, You know, if if you want me to build that big thing, I need, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I'm making that up, but there's a funding element too. I mean, this stuff doesn't, you know, happen for free. That quickly narrows those leaders down to, okay, actually, what I really need, you know, next quarter is this, you know, it may may take some iterations to get to a more concrete problem statement. Um, And sometimes you're helping them out as well, right? So it's, you know, it's their idea, but sometimes you (laughs) you have to help them to get there. Um, So I think that's the first hurdle is getting a problem statement that's a bit narrow, a bit, you know, more easy to put your hands on um and then kind of what i tend to do is, is is have someone on my team do an eda you know quick feasibility on it because sometimes those problems are may not be solvable today right we may not have the data we may not have something if something's missing right uh, and, and we want to know that up front closer up before we promise a deliverable so Uh, That's typically how we work is, is, you know, go do some feasibility analysis, see if, hey, we we think, you know, the initial feasibility is there, then we go to the next stage and then say, hey, we're going to make this official, we're going to assign resources, uh, and then we identify, hey, what resources we need from that domain to also be part of the project. And, you know, that's important that they need to be part of the project. It's not, hey, data science, this is a problem, go away, just come back when it's done, because, we are not the experts on the business or the function. They need to be part of the journey. so it's it's kind of that change management ec- uh, aspect needs to start from that first meeting as
0: well. Mm, yeah, that's a so change management, you know that's the money shot. that's, that's the the ubiquitous problem set challenge for data leaders and it's multifaceted. so many different parts of it. One thing that you mentioned there um, that I would like to explore maybe just a little bit is you say that you need to ask questions. And the function of questions and the power of questions, when you do them the right way, we've seen huge impact from that, right? So even just to give you an example from what we've seen, sometimes you guys do it, but you don't notice that you're doing it, is that actually asking the right questions can help you identify the right people to work with in the beginning, right? So for example, when you ask questions around pain, an urgency around that pain you can it's kind of like a litmus test of whether this person you know actually cares about you know what i'm gonna offer will this person adopt whatever yes. i build for them or is there just the halo because the halo in you know, of itself as you said the hype is great but if it's just hype that's what you almost almost need to like bust You need to expose that but if yes. the person actually has a pain that uh, he or she wants to solve with urgency, now that's a great opportunity for you to now understand the nature of that problem and if there's a connection between what you can offer through data science. Because in that way, um, I'm just kind of giving you an example. We already talked about this, but from what we've seen from literally hundreds of data leaders is that you can kind of avoid the pitfall of the lack of analytics adoption when you pour a lot of money into building a solution it looks really bad that you built it and no one touches that right so maybe a little bit of a pivot then to the um uh, analytics adoption piece so uh what have you seen to be the keys of good analytics adoption so even if you zoom out outside of that what were your best practices to make sure that you build powerful solutions for the right people at the right time, that they are not just excited about and hyped up about, but they actually use and delivers consistent value. I know it's a big question. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's a big question, but yeah, I, I think you know one is continuous change management, communication, making sure at every step you're connected, you know, tied at the hip with with the the you know the the organization, the stakeholder. Um, and then another, another is, is reality checks along the way, right? If, if, you know, we went with one vision, you, you hit new information, new board blocks and, and you have to pivot, that's, that, that's a risk point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might've started with a vision, it's going here, it may go a little bit lower than that, but it may still be a, you know, as valuable or very valuable. Um, but we just need to be honest, right? Um, th- that's kind of the one principle, just be honest, um, even if it's bad news. Um, so, so that's one. Um, and the other one with adoption is, so that, that, you know, setting expectations that are realistic, you know, being honest. And then the other is making sure the right stakeholders are involved. So often you're pitching at a high level, but the change is occurring at a lower level. It's going to impact their lives. They have to do something different. Their their daily process is changing, and they might be resistance to that change, or or just general you know concern with that change. So we need to work with those people, you know the 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 the, you know, the, the, the people on the ground right working on on that process or that that dashboard or that you know whatever it is, um, and understand their feedback early on. Get them involved early so that they are also part of building that solution. Giving them ownership—that um, it's not this thing that's happening to them; they are designing it with us, so they have ownership and probably a better chance of adoption. Right? Um, that's the other element. And, and sometimes, you know, um, you know, th- things will fail. So, so, so that's the other one. Fail if you're gonna fail. Fail fast. <laughs> take ownership for that failure and say, "Hey, you know, we failed. You, you take it." You take the blame. You take you know whatever heat's gonna come, but maintain that trust. So the next time that you go after something, they're like, yeah, that guy, you know, they, they they didn't do it that time, but we enjoyed that experience. Let's let's try this new thing with them, um, because you know I believe in trying new and different things. And if you're if you try new and different things, you're gonna fail sometimes, and you need to be fine with that failure. Be gracious, uh, but also when you fail celebrate the failure it's like hey we failed but hey we learned these things right um and we can apply that you know next time around maybe that roadblock's gone or that data is now clean or that uh you know whatever roadblock is now gone the, sometime in the future
0: hmm. absolutely and i think now, now that was a very important thing that you just mentioned there i wanted to ask but you kind of answered already but what are some of those things that you know make data science projects fail. Before we go there though, I really applaud like your approach to that because I think this is the, the, the very heart of innovation that you're willing to fail right and i always like to bring example from unusual places one of them is poker i mean i'm uh, you know i love poker i used to you know make my pocket money in high school from playing online poker and uh, you know if you actually want to make money from poker if it's not just uh, entertainment then you always need to follow a strategy which is usually a bold strategy but still you get the bad beats a bad beat is i did exactly what i should have done in every situation but on the river you know, the, the queen of spades came up and, uh, you know, I just lost all my money. But then the next time, again, you're just better at handling that specific situation. And innovation is very much like that, that sometimes you do all the right things, you have the right posture, you approach growth and business problems the right way. But sometimes it's just, you know, an unexpected thing, something that was unseen just comes up as a roadblock. But when you identify those, the next time you can set yourself up for success. So um, I didn't want to lead the witness, but I think you already did it with mentioning, for example, that the, maybe the data quality wasn't right. Now, this is a topic that, uh, you know, people don't often like to talk about, even though it's a huge pain point, right? So maybe if we could explore a little bit of that, like how significant do you think that the the data quality uh, really trips these initiatives up right and what are some of those things that you can do especially in the area of governance to make sure that you set yourself up for, uh, for success
1: yes yeah, so, so data quality is super important and, and oftentimes you know within data quality i'm not the data governance expert but in my mind i simplify it as: is it complete is it consistent and um is it correct? Is, are there you know, obvious errors in it, right? It's, it's got, you know, uh, alphanumeric when it should be numeric, you know, things like that. Um, so I think it's important to understand upfront when you do your feasibility, as much as you can, you don't want to boil the ocean, but take a sample and see how good the data is. Um, But then also to understand kind of related to understanding the goal, how good does the data need to be, mm. Right oftentimes you don't need 100% you know, pristine quality data. You might be okay with 70, 80% and, and there may be some treatment you can apply to the 30% and you want the domain expert to help you with that. Like, do you want to impute zeros? Do you want to impute averages? Do you want to do something different? Do you want to drop that data? doesn't matter. So it's good to understand all of that because you know, I go in not expecting pristine data. It doesn't exist. You know, uh, there's very rare cases that it exists. So, so, and, and we still are making decisions with it, with the data science or without data science. So so, my approach is always, okay, let's look at the data, see what we can do with it. And I understand, hey, you know, with that data, there might be a risk of the outcome being, you know, in a range that's not ideal. Mm-hmm. And then being upfront about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's one thing uh, that, that, you know, we, we go in with, Um, And and sometimes, you know, it's also, hey, at at a point where it gets to a point where it's not ideal and it's going to give the wrong decision, right? It's it's an anomaly detection algorithm. And because of the data quality, your your alerts are, you know, either giving too many positive alerts or too many negative alerts, depending on the situation. That's where you need to make a call, especially if it's going out to a customer, then, hey, you know. This might be a reputation killer. Do we stop? Do we adjust? Is, is there an alternative solution? Um, it, it, that's the honesty piece again, I'm, I'm bringing back what I talked about before is is you know sometimes every you know despite everything you've done, you hit that. And you know we've we've stopped projects, you know when we hit a certain level of uncertainty and it's not meeting the requirement. And we can say, hey, you know, it's, it's not going to work. We, we don't want to risk our reputation here. And we might give them, hey, until you clean up this data, we're not going to go forward. And then, you know, it may be then that they want to fix it or they might say, hey, let's shelve it for now. We're going to come back, see, you know, in a year what we're looking like. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. No, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I really like it because, you know, one of the things, uh, especially because in, in this case, I mean, you're a data leader. And one thing a leader needs to do, again, from our experience is sometimes uh, do step into conflict where it has to happen. Right. Now, of course, it's constructive. So it needs to be with uh, a, a constructive intention. But people don't people think that what they want is someone who just does whatever they tell them to do, right? But that's a very, very limited scope of value that you'll be able to provide that way. That's like a vending machine, right? Yeah. And the vending machine, it's, it's, you know, it's good for a snack, but you're not gonna have like a fruitful relationship that way. So when you shift into being a business partner, which is based on your understanding of the business context, as he said, your ability to build some of those relationships, to dig into what the problems actually are. And if needed, you autonomously can say, give a heads up, stop certain initiatives. Uh, now that's where your position will shift in the business, right? That's when you become what we call, you know, the, the data conciliaire. The, the, the trusted advisor, the the business partner. Now in this case, to maybe just step back a little from that, so uh, one other thing you mentioned is that you know you need to know what you're aiming at. So aiming at perfect data quality, you know, it's kind of like this uh, thing that no one ever really achieves, but then a much better thing to shoot at would be good enough. Now when you want to have good enough data quality, and again, I have no idea what your answer might be to this, but uh, what is your approach and take on implementing governance on an organizational level, and the dividends of that? Like, like for example, really enforcing uh, uh, governance, or you know, trying to set up a system across the enterprise. Um, is that something that you think is worth pursuing? And if so, what are some of those ways that you can create these functional governance frame uh, frameworks without a lot of business friction? Or from what I'm getting from you, which I really like, is that, look, the data will not be perfect, but we do our due diligence. We focus on a project, get the data to be good enough and be just, you know, very surgical. Uh, so so w- what is your approach to that? And I know that organizations can change, but what is your personal philosophy?
1: Yeah, for sure. I'll maybe draw on some examples earlier in my career where, where I actually had the role of a functional data owner uh, of, of marketing data. Uh, this was several years ago different organization um and and kind of the learning from that is yes is it is it important to go after governance yes absolutely that's how you get better on your data and you measure if you measure it you're probably going to get better at it because you're going to keep looking at it um so 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 yeah measure it also um having, you know, those are functional data owners, you know, naming or terminology is different in different organizations, right? So, you know, substitute with whatever you're using, data steward, whatever. Um, and it's also important that, that that owner is someone that is part of that function or, or uses that data for daily decision-making. So they, they kind of know the impact of that being wrong. Um, so they'll 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 care more. They'll they'll probably be able to give the rules of how do you correct it or, or what to do when you find erroneous or missing data. Um, and then th- there's a the flip side is you also need the the, the 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 organization to understand, hey, what happens when you identify that uh, or erroneous data? What are the next steps? So, so building that that um, correction mechanism. Um, Oftentimes, you need that data governance team, data management team to exist, um, and 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 start working on this with those data owners, and and, and start putting some targets. Hey, we're going to move from sixty percent to seventy percent this year, and then next year we're going seventy to eighty, and et cetera. Um, I think when you have that that goal, you will get better, right? Um, and the the other. Kind of element there, things change. So, so the definitions change. So, you know, you, you acquire another company, the the the, the field. Yeah, I'm going very nitty gritty. that the, the the acceptable iterations on a field will change. You have more warehouses. So, you know, these codes are one through 12 before, now it's one through 24. I'm just making that up, but but this is a real example. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you also have that governance of change? Who approves that? How does it get approved? Uh, what's the process? I mean, it, there there's so many elements that one needs to focus on um, when you get really serious about governance uh, and, and data management. Um, and, you know, even your source system, what is the source of truth, right? Agreement on that. Sometimes there's multiple sources. And who knows what what's true right so so there, there's a lot of um engagement needed there um yeah i've found your workshops were good to get through those types of decisions um and, and getting the right people on the table that, that know the data and can feel the impact of the data
0: mm-hmm. so again tying back to what you said before about getting it to be to be good enough. I mean, will you have that absolute integral single source of truth? Not necessarily, but you want it in the in the ballpark, right? So they can actually yes. drive projects to success. Now, I have a flip side because here is when we probably reach a point and I appreciate you being nitty gritty. That's exactly what I'm looking for. But I know that then organizations can differ. At the same time, something that is kind of all-encompassing and ubiquitous is that when you try to implement whatever governance framework you're looking at, again, you need to make sure that people actually follow through with it. So usually when you want to convince someone or or you want to change someone's actions, and this is connected to the larger conversation about the company culture, culture is uh, Literally the collection of beliefs and behaviors, but we want to change a behavior, you know, you have the classic carrot and the stick you need some, some, some incentive that will drive a desire and you need some sort of, uh, sort of motivation, mo- motivational lever, which stops. Like the undesired behaviors, right? Yeah. So, uh, what what is your take? I don't know if you have like a particular approach to that, but just from your experience, uh, how do you make sure that this is as smooth as possible when you try to implement this? Do you have a particular, uh, uh you know, framework for uh, pushing the right motivational levers in terms of incentivizing people to go with this? Make sure that there's not too much friction when you when you implement governance. I'm not sure if you have a have a take on that.
1: Um, it's, it's definitely an important challenge, uh, that, that I faced, Even I'll go back to that same instance that, that I had before, where the hardest part is to get that owner that really cares. That's what I've seen in my experience is that owner that really cares is going to give extra time and effort because it's not, it's not sexy work, right? Doing this, right? It's, it's not data. It's not, you know, your EIML model, everyone's talking about it. It's, it's kind of, you know, in the weeds, Right so you need someone that really cares that's that's really the biggest challenge i think and in terms of incentives or motivation um, if you don't have that self motivated you know functional data owner how do, how do you get that i mean the, the carrot and the stick yeah that's, that's the approach is one is you know you, you start publishing those metrics you get a high level person you know maybe it's the cio or the cdo you know if, if that exists and and, and have them always bring that up and create some competitive, hey, you know, this functions at 90%, you guys are only at 70 you know, that helps a little bit. But then the stick approach often is, 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 is needed, at least a threat, <laughs> right? And um, hey, you know, if you don't get your data quality to X level, you're not going to get funding for that new fancy tool you need because garbage in, garbage out. I mean, there's a bit of both needs to be there. Um, but within reason, right? Because we cannot expect perfect quality day one. Maybe it's it's kind of hey, you need to start improving. You know, we care, and and here are things that will slow down if you don't have, you know, that improvement or that level that we're we're, we're shooting for. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. no, absolutely, and. Um, no, this is really good stuff. I wanted to get your take on uh, governance, it's a very hot topic uh, yes. in the community. In fact, we're just running a masterclass as well. And this week's topic is, is, is governance. It's kind of on my mind. Um, and uh, what about maybe if we shift gears a little bit, I'm also trying to be respectful of, of your time. I knew that we were probably gonna uh, you know go up against the, the, the hour very, very quickly. Uh, but maybe tying into even the question of how do you get people to care Right, this whole idea of get people to care well how do you get people to care not just about governance but about data analytics and uh again i will maybe lead the witness a little bit here uh one thing that keeps coming up and which people are very interested in is storytelling right mm-hmm. of, obviously with a data storyteller so it's our kind of bread and butter but uh, how important storytelling has been in your career to drive change to engage your key stakeholders, what are your experiences, and maybe even, uh, I don't know, if you have any insights that you heard during the masterclass from your other other attendees, your practical experience on the uh, on the front lines. um, uh, What about storytelling?
1: Yeah, I think storytelling is key. It, it starts day one, that first meeting with a new stakeholder. It's 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 about you know building that vision, a shared vision, hopefully, um, with that stakeholder, right? So 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 that's really getting them out of their their now here's my problem right now this is what I'm working on this is what I need fixed to okay listen to them make them feel heard but then okay where do you where do you see yourself you know a little bit in the future what is ideal what is that ideal state what what would what would that look like so so it's it's that's the storytelling we need to do, right? In terms of understanding first where they are, where they want to be articulating that vision, you know, visuals, diagrams help often, uh, but also kind of talking through that. Um, and, and, and then kind of reinforcing it every time, right? Every time you meet them, yeah, well, we're going to go after that, right? The, the you know zero zero error rate or you know, whatever it is. Um, and sometimes it's aspirational, that's fine. Um, but it's is to reinforce. Hey, this is the why. What's in it for them? This is why they should be in. You know, yeah, both feed in into this uh, initiative, um, and, and 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 it's important for data scientists. I'll talk data science because that's what I'm leading right now. For data scientists to understand the importance of that part of their job. Sometimes they think it's not their job, and. I usually, be, or <laughs> I'm one that will say, "Hey, actually, that's part of your job. You may not like it; it may not be your preference, but you need to have at least this much effort put into it um, because that will ultimately help you succeed, right? So, so it's 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 it's, it's important to have that even in their day to day communications. Um, you know, uh, that the the hey, this is why we're doing it. This is why it's important. This is where we are, right? Uh, and there's a gap." create that that tension.
0: Hmm. And it's just giving me, I, I don't, I don't think, I mean, in in different um bits and pieces, I think this already existed. But now as you were talking, it just kind of came together for me also from previous conversations. Um just had a podcast with Brian from Pepsi, and you know, one of the people that that who attended with you and we released the podcast I think last week and he talks a lot about camaraderie with your stakeholders. Right. In Lean Stick Sigma, that's one of the things that you go to the front lines you know, roll your sleeves up, uh, and you just really invest yourself in their problems, and then in this act of co-creation, then you forge that camaraderie between the two of you, which is you know, it's, it's almost like a, a like a fast-tracking the relationship. It's like even stronger than 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 yes. friendship in, uh, in and of itself, camaraderie. And as you were talking now, it's like almost like a good story that you that you can craft that will resonate with your audience and you're both invested in, it's almost like a vehicle for that relationship, right? I mean, where are, where is camaraderie forged? Well, it's usually being on a, on a mission together, right? It's almost (laughs) like a military term. And the mission is always embedded in, in some sort of story. I mean, there's a situation there's a problem and something needs to be accomplished. And in order for that to be a success, both of us are needed. Now both of us are in that story and you as a leader need to articulate that vision again again and again to make sure that you're still, as you said before, that you joined at the hip. and this is your tool, to actually, join the two of you. So no no, that was really cool. And uh, what are you most excited about now? In the world of data so it's talking about stories a lot of different narratives competing you know today the halo That's- around analytics and data science is you know growing but you know it's a double-edged sword because maybe the the distance between what's possible uh and what people think <laughs> that that gap can grow as well so what do you identify right now as the greatest opportunities in the industry and some of the some of the pitfalls
1: yeah it's, it's almost you know it's, it's same side of the same coin really uh two sides of the same coin rather um, it's, it's, I'm excited about all of the new developments, right? In terms of large language models, you know, better vision, you know, computer vision models and, 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 the, and the hardware, you know, the compute that allows us to do it nowadays, right? As opposed to even just five years ago. Um, so so there's, it's opening up a lot of possibilities. That's exciting. You know, with new technologies also comes risk because you know it's it's, it's new we, we don't know that the downsides or you know there are downsides um, so it's kind of that responsible being responsible with that new technology is really the challenge uh, you know the, that's the flip side right uh, and, 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 and 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 how as a data leader do I help my senior leaders, my, my peers understand the pros and the cons, right? The risks and, and the consequences and, and, and also the upside of, you know, adopting these new technologies. How fast do we go? Do we, do we, do we outsource and then there's uncertainty. Do we build and it takes time? Do we get left behind? Right. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you maneuver all these, things that the senior leaders are are thinking through right and and, and rightly so they're thinking through and we have to help them think through that because we're probably more much closer to that technology and can understand and can articulate those those risks and those factors Um, so where I find you know my responsibility is yeah try to understand all these new technologies these new models and and, and, and in in, a, in in their language, try to say, hey, you know, here are the pros and cons. You know, what I find myself, you know, even even despite being data analytics, sometimes just put that table together. Here are the five things, the new shiny things. Here are the pros. Here are the cons. And here is our recommendation for an applicable use case in in any scenario. So what I'm doing there is giving them the power. Like, hey later here is you know this lots of information that we've distilled into a you know very you know summarized form here are some recommendations and thoughts some pros and cons and that's the 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 conversation starter right really i don't expect them to decide right away but it's it's helping them frame -hmm. frame the, the, the question the challenge in a way that makes more sense and then, you know, we can work through, we might try two avenues, right? It just doesn't mean you just need one answer. They might say, hey, go for all of them. You know, <laughs> it's fine too, but at least it's, it's an informed decision. We know where the pros and cons are. And, and once we know the pros and cons, we can then do the iteration, you know, we take it, you know, from pre-alpha to alpha to beta, and we might stop it at some point because we say, the risk is too great. And then we go to the alternative, which we already know is out there, right? Um, or you know we're going a multi-pronged approach, and, and we're going to see which one you know, gets to the finish first. You know if we have if we have the time and resources to do it, obviously.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And look, this is where I see like so much opportunity and untapped potential for data leaders. Because again, if we zoom out, we can see that you're both architects and the trusted advisors. It's just such a unique powerful one two punch combination when you can balance the two and and and, you know will these two you know separate swords uh uh together and it's a different skill set too and that and when you combine that this just results in value so this is when you approach someone like that and you can be both of those things someone who understands you someone who can give you like good strong relevant recommendations at the same time can build amazing things from that as kind of on top of the on the back of that relationship um data analytics has the potential to be the key value generator in any business now uh just to i think we have four minutes left uh but maybe like a more pointed question i mean everyone is talking about you know chat gpt where do you see the most what are the most exciting uh, applications business applications of generative ai technology from your perspective sometimes something that really attracts your attention something that you think will maybe you know absolutely you know, skyrocket in its impact and relevance maybe cutting through the hype a little bit what is your take on this very specific type of technology
1: i i think i think it can help in many ways to assist or augment um tasks or, or activities that you know, operators or, or, or salespeople, or, you know, the, the protagonist, whatever it is to, to, you know, what they're doing every day. I I think, you know, having some of these technologies can help them, you know, look at possible options, right. Have, have, you know, let's say, you know, that generative AI provide a list of options based on the parameters it's, it's gathered, right. And then have the human, you know, I feel comfortable always having a human involved, you know, in the loop. (laughs) Uh, to make that final call, yeah, yeah, actually agree with the AI's decision, or yeah, I'm gonna tweak it a little bit because I know some things that this customer, you know, they they come every every time and they always complain about the same thing. I just need to make them feel better. You know, it's not a real thing. There's always that nuance that that AI is so far, you know. I don't know if if, if it's, you know, it's, it's that advanced just yet, right? In terms of the generative AI, there's, there's always that component. Um, again, it's use case by use case, right? It's, it's, it's you have to judge judge it by that use case, right? In terms of the quality and, and, and the usefulness of, of, of the generative AI. I, in general, I would say, you know, probably, you know, marketing might be a good, area in terms of the degenerative AI, you know, v- you know, visuals and and, and things like that, um, probably, um, you know, I'm excited to see what we do with that, um, you know, not, not just here, but, you know, everywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> to see if, if that's going to take hold. Um, you know, I think, you know, from a personal interest perspective, not a Bridgestone perspective, right? Personally, I'm interested in, in seeing, you know, this augmented, you know, augmented reality, you uh, piece of it, you know, how that will help, you know, in terms of, you know, you're in a factory floor, can, you know, you have, you know, a visor, I'm just, I'm just vision casting here for myself here, you know, have this visor on and then I can, I can see, you know, these things out, you know, up in the space, right, and it helps me with, you know, with data or alerts, and then how can that help an operator doing, you know, fairly, you know, basic tasks in, you know, factory floor. And that's what excites me Hmm. (laughs) personally.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a good point that, you know, marketing is um, one area where um, generative AI can really shine. So because in in a way, in marketing, you don't need 100% accuracy, you need contextual accuracy. Right yes. now, yes. W- it's interesting that even when when we use this technology, I kind of so I'm a laggard in adopting new technologies. I think for me it was the iPhone, and then uh, you know five ten years later Apple Pay, and now it's generative AI. Like I'm I I'm I, I'm I'm not really like a, a quick adopter, but with this I found that it's so useful from a business perspective. So I actually got into the habit of using it. Now at the same time, and I wanted to use um. Generative AI for an everyday, uh, for an everyday problem. For example, we're expecting our daughter to arrive August twenty sixth. So I asked, I was asking Chat uh, GPT that, hey, my my wife is due August twenty sixth, right? When is she? Uh, how how much does she have left of the second trimester, right? So it's like a it's it's kind of like a math problem that I don't know, like a um a first second grader, uh, math competition, right? Mm-hmm. And ChatGPT got it wrong. In fact, we needed to like work on that problem. And I even asked ChatGPT, like, how come you got this wrong? Like, it's such a, such, a, such a simple problem. And he actually went into de- went in depth into why it got it wrong. But with marketing, again, you can be uh, a little bit less accurate, and uh, and it's fine. Now, uh, what I really liked about what you said is that you referred to the business users here. Probably it was Freudian. You don- didn't even notice that you referred to them as a protagonist. And I think this is a great punchline and something to finish on, too, because storytelling, a lot of times people ask, like, oh, how do you become a better storyteller? And uh, there are all the gimmicks, which some of them are fine. It's like cherry on top. But it's mainly like a conceptual shift of how you think about people and how you think about relationships and how you think about providing value to someone. That's the, the, that's the heart of storytelling. So when you think about the people that you work with as the protagonists, now you think in terms of a story, and now you can effectively pinpoint what kind of you know pain points and desires you can speak into? So this was a fascinating conversation, Anand. I really appreciated your input, and um, I'm actually probably gonna you know share this with our current masterclass uh, cohort pre-release. If you, if, if, if you don't object, uh, just to kind of, you know, show them because it ties into a bunch of the, the topics and we sure. will release this in a, in a, in a couple of weeks, probably we have a little bit of a backlog, but I won this out as soon as possible.
1: All right. sounds good. Here, yeah, appreciate the talk. You know, I always like talking about analytics. I can talk for this for, talk about this for hours. So
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I hope we'll continue the conversation yeah. and, uh, yeah, appreciate your input and, uh, we're excited about collaborating with you moving forward.
1: Okay, hey, thank you, Lazo.